Thank you. Um, I guess the topic I'm about to talk about is one that's really been in the forefront of the news this past year especially, but it seems like there's been increasing interest in this idea that girls can be aggressive and mean. And just before we get started, how many of you out there think girls are mean? Raise your hand if you think they are. Okay, oh, some hands really went up very high. And when I do ask that question, it sometimes depends on the audience, but the majority of people do raise their hands. And I would say that I have seen many mean behaviors from girls in my work with um, young women over the years, but I don't believe that young women are inherently mean, that it's something inside that we just can't change and they're just mean and they're jealous and they go through this time of life where they are very cruel to each other and there's not a lot you can do about it. And I know I've heard girls say things like, my mom told me, you know, just hold your breath Try and get through middle school, and it'll be all better when you get to high school. And so kind of this idea that we can't intervene and we can't help girls to change some of their behaviors and learn positive relationship skills is, um, you know, I'm all about trying to get in there early, and more and more I'm asked to come and work with third and fourth graders. It used to be just middle schoolers. But to get in there and help young women around relationships in particular, um, I have kind of focused on girls because uh, I have a joint appointment in women's studies here, and I, I'm very interested in feminist psychology, which suggests that for girls, relationships mean something different. Now, that doesn't mean that girls are superior and boys are not um, you know, at all interested in relationships, but Carol Gilligan's work kind of um, began to suggest and demonstrate that for a young woman, the process of growing psychologically occurs through relationships and these connections that are formed with others. And during adolescence, it's no longer the connection with mother, it begins to become connections with peers. And because those connections are so important, it opens the door for good and bad things to occur. Girls can have very strong friendships with each other. They can be a great support just as women can. It's also the way in which a close relationship can be used to aggress. And relational aggression is this idea that um, rather than somebody coming up and bopping another person, kicking them, punching them, hitting them, whatever, um, she uses words, behaviors, uh, very subtle ways of getting her message across that she has a hurtful intent to another girl. Boys, again, do use these behaviors they don't use them within their friendship circle, though. We see that girls tend to um, you know, use it even with their close peers. And a Girl Scout survey that was done um, in the early, I think it was around 2001, very interesting survey, asked young women um, what their fears were. And they gave them a list of things to pick from. And it was a long list. And on that list was carjacking, terrorism, very real things in the lives of young people today. Girls said their number one fear was being hurt emotionally, especially by their friends. So it tells you how important this is to a young woman. Um, usually when we look at relational aggression, the um, behaviors I hear about are endlessly um, unique to particular settings, and yet there's that common underlying dynamic of not doing anything overt 
um, like the physical violence, although that is increasing a young, among young women too. But um, things like, oh, well, I'm not gonna invite you to my party. That's okay not to invite somebody to your party, but I'm gonna make sure you know that I'm not gonna invite you to my party. Or I'm going to make fun of the clothes that you're wearing, and then I'm gonna pretend I'm just joking. So it kind of leaves you, you know, being ridiculed, but not able to do too much about it. Um, I'm going to spread a rumor about you, and you know that's the way that I'm going to start this whole campaign throughout a school so that everybody hears this rumor and believes it, and suddenly you are the girl on the out, or your group of girls is the, gr the group on the outs. So the behaviors are very subtle, and oftentimes um, teachers or guidance counselors or parents tell me that they have a really hard time dealing with them because they occur in the bathroom, the hallways, kind of under the radar, those times you know, when you don't really uh, have a close vigilance on girls. And, and sometimes it's very subtle. I had a teacher say to me, what do I do with a girl who continually rolls her eyes at another girl? And we know the look, it's the <sighs> kind of thing. So it's very challenging for um, everybody. Uh, more and more school administrators tell me that girls are in their offices for uh, delinquency and truancy more often than boys now. I also believe that the whole idea of relational aggression and this, this word war that occurs um, is part of physical violence among girls. We see more and more girls getting into actual physical altercations. And if you look at the pattern of what happens um, when there's a physical fight, it's different than with boys. Usually with girls, there's this buildup, back and forth verbal, and then it explodes into some kind of a physical event. And in fact, not far from here in Williamsport, um, there was the first girl-to-girl -girl shooting in the country. Um, you may remember when that occurred, it was at a private Catholic school, I think three or four years ago. And I've actually been up to Williamsport and talked to some of the people involved. And if you look at what happened, this wasn't something um, on impulse. This was a whole year in the making of building up of this relational aggression and this word war and this tension between the girls involved until it exploded. And that's much more typical. A new thing that I'm seeing is the online relational aggression, where girls send emails or instant messages or they're blog posting on another girl's blog, really kind of um, inflammatory messages, cruel messages, things designed to create an emotional response. So the girls are apart, they come home from school, they go online, they start IMing each other. And another difference for girls and women is that we tend to get a lot of our input about communication from reading body language more so than men, so that we're looking in people's eyes, we're looking at their facial expression, we look at their body posture. All that is lost online. So girls are online, IMing back and forth, and it's very easy for this to become um, really kind of a cyber form of relational aggression. They come together the next day, they see each other, and you have this explosion face-to-face uh, -face because the, of all the communication that's occurred during the off hours, but it's really affecting the quality of school life. So who are the girls that get involved? I wish I could give you a profile. This is what a bully looks like, this is what a victim looks like, and this is what this interesting other group of bystanders looks like. But I can't because any girl has the potential to be in any of those roles. And indeed, sometimes girls change roles. Today's aggressor may be tomorrow's victim. Um, the girls that I'm most worried about when I'm working um, in my programs are those that get stuck in a role. 
they can't react anyway but aggressively. They go to the sports team, they're aggressive. They go to English class, they're aggressive. They go to church, they're aggressive. No matter what setting that girl is in, she's in that mode of, you know, bully, bully, bully. I'm the same way a victim can get stuck in that, you know, receiving, allowing others or um, taking it to heart when others do say cruel things to them. And so that role she almost recreates for herself. I had a young woman that um, was a really good example of this. We do a lot of role playing in my programs. And um, we were going to do a role play one time. And I remember there was a girl who said we had to decide who was going to play the aggressor, who was going to be the bystander, and who was going to be the victim. And one girl raised her hand and said, well, I'll be the victim because I'm always the victim. And I use a lot of high school mentors, and one of the high school mentors was brilliant and said, why don't you play another role this time then? If you're always the victim, why don't you try out another role and see what it feels like to be maybe a bystander or be an aggressor and see what, it, what might be going on in her head. Um, bystanders are an interesting group of girls because, again, getting back to my opening, I don't believe that girls are cruel. I don't believe that they like to see this kind of behavior going on. It creates a very negative school climate. Whenever I have parents tell me, oh, my daughter is not involved in bullying, you know, it's not a problem for her. She may not be an aggressor. She may not be a victim. But I can almost guarantee that she sees this stuff go on at school. And just watching is uncomfortable for girls because they want to intervene, they don't know how to intervene, um, and so they don't, uh, fearing that maybe they'll be turned on next. So we try in my programs to really mobilize that group of bystander girls and get them to be more um, involved in ending or walking away or going to get help or somehow um, trying to change the dynamic. And that's what it's all about is changing the dynamic teaching girls uh, positive ways of interacting because there are so many different options in any situation looking at what are the choices you can make. You don't have to respond in an aggressive way. That girl who is uh, stuck in the bullying role inside, she's either learned the behavior and is very entrenched in it or you know, she just hasn't seen options. And so she can learn a different way. I'll tell you another story. And um, then I, I think we'll move towards opening up for discussion. I had a young woman who came to my, one of my camps. And the camps that I, that I myself have personally directed um, were all held in Harrisburg. And the population that, of girls that came to the camp were girls from a very urban setting. And one of the things that we do is to, in, in my programs, uh, we really look at the positive. So we try and focus on those behaviors we want girls to use rather than the ones that we don't want them to use. All too often I see um, schools that tell me, you know, I have a, we have a problem with aggressive girls, so we have a special group for aggressive girls, and all, all the girls in the group are aggressive girls. Well, put aggressive girls in a group with aggressive girls and, you know, you learn aggression, basically. So we try and um, shift around and, and expose girls to all different kinds of behaviors and really focus on what they do right, what are the kinds of things that build connections. And in camp, we have kind of a little incentive system for girls. Every time they use a positive relationship skill, we give them a check or a star and keep track of, of what they've done. And at the end of the camp, we have a ceremony. Whoever has the most positive relationship checks or stars or whatever gets a small award. 
This one year that I'm thinking of, I had a young woman who came and um, from the beginning, from the first day, it emerged in the afternoon that she was pretty clearly um, using a lot of positive behaviors. And, you know, we talk about what are positive behaviors. They're things like helping others, giving people compliments, sharing a, you know, insightful comment, uh, giving somebody, you know, compliment. All of these kinds of things that can help you connect. Asking somebody to clarify something or a question rather than assuming something that they've said means a certain thing. Um, intervening when there's a, a conflict or disagreement. So as the week progressed, it, it seemed like this young woman was you know, really outstanding. The mentors that I was working with and the other director and I were really impressed with how often she was really a leader. Halfway through the week, I have a friend who's a social worker who came in and said, um, Cheryl, did you know that there's a girl who's adjudicated in your camp this summer? And I um, learned long ago when I was working at the prison um, with uh, women who were incarcerated that it's not to know the story behind whatever particular crime a woman has committed that has gotten her in a situation and to kind of approach it like a new start or a second chance or, you know, here I am, I don't know you, let's just connect in the here and now. So I said, uh, no, I didn't know that and I don't want to know who it is because things are fine and, you know, we don't have a girl that is causing any difficulties. So the week progressed and... Um, I'll call this, this young woman Liana. Uh, we got to Friday, which was the last day of camp, and um, the mentors and myself, over lunch, we met and said, you know, who, who's going to be our star camper? Who's going to get the award this year? And it was pretty clear that Liana, this girl I've been describing, was head and shoulders above everyone else going to get the award. So the day ended, and the ceremony would be in the evening. Everybody departed, and Liana was there waiting for her grandfather to come and pick her up, and he was late, and then he was later. And so she and I started talking, and I finally said, listen, why don't I just take you to your house? You can change, and we'll go on down to the ceremony. So we get in the car, and she said, uh, you know, Miss Cheryl, there's some things I have to tell you about myself. And I said, oh, okay. In my programs, we all call each other Miss, so I'm Miss Cheryl. I'm never Dr. Delasega. I'm Miss Cheryl, and she would be Miss Liana. I said, okay, so I'm driving along. And she said, you know, I've had a really bad year in school this year. I've been sent to the charter school, which is um, for difficult kids in Harrisburg um, City. There's a special charter school, you know, kind of that idea that I mentioned before, all of the kids that have issues get put with all of the other kids that have issues. So I've been there. I've been um, in trouble so many times for fighting. I've been suspended. You know, I just, I've really had a rough time. And I said, wow, that really surprises me. I would have never, ever guessed that about you because all week I've just, you know, seen you rise to the occasion again and again and really be a leader and have great relationship skills. And she said, you know what it is? And I said, what? And she said, I got a new chance. And I found out that I could be different, that I didn't have to be that way. I came in, you know, with all of these girls that, you know, didn't really know me. And it was an environment where I could be a different person. Well, of course, that night, um, Liana's grandfather nearly fell off of his chair when she got the award for the star camper because she had had so many difficulties during the year. Ironically, um, I did not talk to Liana's mother, but some, one of my colleagues did about six months later, ran into Liana's mother and said, you know, that camp was a turning point for her. 
for the first time, she saw the possibility of something being different, and she's kind of turned her life around now, and she's getting good grades, and so on and so forth. So I do you know, think that that's a really kind of spectacular example. I don't know that that happens with every girl who comes, but I do know that girls really enjoy being just with other girls, being safe, having positive connections. Um, these are all the things that they tell me after we're done um, with the programs. So at this point, I'd like to hear kind of how I can share what I know with you. I don't really consider my books um, as research per se. It's not what got me tenured at Penn State. Um, I was actually a geriatric uh, specialist and, and focused on gerontology and did a lot of more of the hard research. Um, I, I just listen to a lot of girls. I hear a lot of stories. Um, Girl Wars, the book, was really stories that girls sent me from all around the world about different things that had happened to them. Um, my Mean Girls Grown Up, which actually came out last year, um, is the story of then adult women who sent in their experiences. And I can tell you that girls who get stuck in this in middle school do tend to carry it into their adult years. And they miss a lot of opportunities and a lot of uh, chances for more positive experiences. That's a really interesting question. Did you all hear what he asked? He asked if college could be a similar kind of experience where girls go into a new setting. I have a chapter in Me and Girls Grown Up about college girls and asking them um, if these kinds of behaviors occur on campus and um, so on and so forth. And I think that for very complicated reasons, I think women being relationship oriented always, you know, there's that door that can open either way. But I know from talking to um, actually other researchers in this area that college can be a new experience. And it, some of it is dependent on, uh, there was a very interesting article in one of our Penn State publications called Friend Sickness about your ability to um, disconnect and form new connections at college, which would be exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. And those girls that were kind of holding on to their friends back at home didn't make quite as successful a transition. I'll start with the first one, and actually that's something that um, I was going to work into my talk. Has this always been around? Well, I guess every woman sitting here in this audience would say it's always been around. Um, and we saw it. I can remember the color of eyeshadow that the girl that you know was my aggressor wore, and these details are really sharp in our minds. I think what's happening now, though, is we live in a society that saturates girls with this stuff. For example, go to the bookstores. We have the Click books. We have the Gossip Girls books. We have the Mean Girls books. We have the Mean Girls movie. Um, pick up a magazine. You know, we have the feud all of last summer. I got calls about Jessica and Lindsay. Now we're on to um, Angelina and uh, Jen. We have TV shows. I have only been able to go through one America's Next Top Model. But uh, you see women competing. You see women being very cruel to each other and that being encouraged. And sure, men have their reality shows too. But it isn't this sugar-coating kind of, let's be sweet about being mean. I think girls get a lot of messages to be cruel. It's very glamorous to be cruel. You know, If you did see the Mean Girls movie, you know that um, it was all about, let's see who can go to the most extreme while the boys in the movie were all studious, you know, concerned about their mothers, that kind of thing, and the girls were all really having this aggressive, um, cruel streak inside them. Um, as far as what could 
you know, be a risk factor for a girl, which is, I think, what you're asking, like um, a girl who perhaps doesn't have a mother in the home or doesn't grow up with a mother um, as her role model and teaching her these skills. I think any young woman who, you know, doesn't have those connections, and it doesn't have to be a mother, but she has to learn the process of connecting with other females. So it might be a grandmother, it might be an aunt, it might be a sister, it might be another woman, but I see again and again um, that one thing that struck me when I went to um, the prison and worked with the women there is they didn't have girlfriends. And I think of how many times my girlfriends, and one of my very best ones is here today, how many times my, there she is, <laughs> my girlfriends have helped me in times of trouble and sort of been that safety net for me. If you don't have that and you don't know how to create that for yourself, um, you really can run into difficulty. So even um, on the subject of teen pregnancy, I was asked a couple of years ago to do some work with teen teens who were pregnant and even speak at some conferences. And I thought, wow, now how would this connect to relational aggression? But when I thought about it, it really does make sense. Because if you don't, I, I started doing some reading about girls who get pregnant when they're teens. And again, they aren't connected to school. They aren't engaged in school. They don't feel like school is a place they want to be. They don't feel like they're part of a group part of you know something that's meaningful to them and so they turn to sort of alternative ways and, and um, look to a man baby and so on for again that need for connection mm -hmm. talked about does that have a common effect as far as being able to do it later right I think if a girl um, and I just saw an article the other day where three and four year old girls are starting to already show these behaviors. So if she misses it then, um, I told you the, the story of Leandra, she, she's you know in middle school and so she was able to learn it. I guess it would all depend on what the incentive was and what was, you know, how much the girl really got a message that it's better to be and there's more reward for being a person who connects positively than negatively. I've also seen girls and women, and I'm sure everyone in this room has met women, who do. They don't ever learn a better way, and they're so stuck that by the time they reach their adult years, it's a, almost impossible. Again, writing the, the book on adult women convinces me that it can happen, that it can change, and a lot of it is awareness. Uh, Young women, when they come into my programs, one of the first things we do is education about what is relational aggression. So that if you start a rumor about me, you say, oh, I saw you know, Cheryl shoplift in CVS. And then it goes to her and she says, oh, I saw Cheryl coming out of CVS in handcuffs because she was shoplifting. And then you say Cheryl's in jail because she was shoplifting in CVS. Suddenly you see how that is aggressive, hurtful behavior. And girls don't often think of gossip and rumors as things that have the potential to come back then and hurt another person. And it kind of helps them to, to reframe. Yes? I, we talk a lot about girls, but what I've noticed is boys that have girls as their circle of friends have a lot of the same type of characteristics. Have you seen that get involved in the same type? Like, it might be a girl, boy that's friends with five or six girls, and they're right in the mix, the same type of aggression, but from a male. Yeah. I don't mean to indicate that yeah. boys don't use these <laughs> behaviors, and that's certainly an example I've heard of before. I've heard of boys being relationally aggressive to girls, usually around sexuality, sort of like almost a harassment thing when girls' bodies start to develop, the comments and so on that are made. Um, 
but it, it tends to be more of a phenomena with girls, but I've, I've heard about. It, it, and it is, it's only, typically I only see it when the boys' circle of friends are mainly girls. Mm -hmm. their, their circle of friends aren't boys, but they, they'll do the same type of Interesting. behaviors that the girls will. It'll mm -hmm. be, you don't dress the right way. It's not even so much about sexuality, it's more just they're yeah. become part of that group and they do the same type of Aggression. Right, and if that's the dynamic that that group is really using, it makes sense that a boy that comes in would be, you know, part of that too. Yeah. And all too often too, boys are at the heart of these conflicts. Where um, I tell you that I do role plays with girls, and they always write the situations, and about eighty percent of them are around a boy, and usually it might be the boy who sort of instigated it, but somehow he gets off scot-free and the girls are upset with each other and not really even that upset with the boy who may have you know, uh, gone out with her best friend or put the moves on her best friend, but it's her best friend she gets upset with, not with the, the boy. Yeah, that's a really something I focus on a lot, and especially I had wanted to um, kind of have a campaign this past summer, and I just got too busy, to really prepare kids to go back to school, like in an emotional way. You know, we buy new clothes, and we buy the notebooks, and we buy all the supplies, but we don't talk about what's ahead of you in the year to come. Um, I think talking about relationship skills, you know, what kinds of things help you to have positive relationships? And what are your goals for yourself? We make it very deliberate in my programs. Like if you, you know, look at the next week, what would you like to achieve from your friendships? What would be a goal, you know, that you could create for yourself? And girls come up with things like, well, I'd like to apologize to somebody and renew my friendship with her, or I'd like to make friends with this new girl. And once she's written it down and committed to it, it somehow keeps it in her awareness. We were talking about this uh, Wednesday, when I go back, I'll be at uh, one of the club Ophelia's that I'm, I'm doing right now. And last week we were talking about it and I asked them what, what helps you achieve your goals. And one girl said, you know, I just remembered that I wrote it down and it was in my mind all week. So looking at the positives, I think there are a lot of opportunities. I mean, you're not going to escape the books, the movies, you know, the magazines, but to look at that and say, wow, what kind of an image does that portray of girls? And what does that say about their relationships? And how do you feel about that? Kind of um, getting girls to think about uh, what do I need to do or what do I want out of friendships? What do I need to do to create a good friendship? I have a fun little exercise in a workbook I created where I have girls, and this would be more for girls about that age, to think about you know, if they have a pet, and usually somebody in the group has a pet, but if you have a dog and you love your dog very much or you love your cat very much, what kinds of things do you do to take care of it? Well, you give it compliments, you give it hugs, you pet it, you, you spend time with it, you think about things it would like, and you, you know, get the right kind of food for it. Well, friends are just like that, too. You need to do things to keep friendships. It's not that you just, you know, glom on to somebody and it continues, you know, on automatic pilot. So thinking about ways that you can, and then I think conflict resolution is really important, too. I don't, re I don't want girls to be doormats and just never have conflict, but handling conflict and handling competition. I just got an email the other day about, um, uh, from a sports psychologist who's uh, writing a column for parents, and the question was around you know, competition. 
And women just shy away from, women think of competition as such a negative thing. If you're competitive with another woman, suddenly it becomes, oh my, you know, you're jealous, you're envious, it's negative. Whereas if a guy is competitive, hey, he really knows how to go out there and work for what he wants. I think we as women, that's where we can learn from men, that it doesn't have to be a negative thing. If you're, you know, on a swim team, which was this situation, and maybe you win this race, um, you know, can you be partners with the person who's just a second slower than you and you keep each other motivated? Plus the idea that um, it is a team. And when I got that note and it was like, my daughter is the best swimmer on the team and all the other girls don't like her and, you know, she's finishing first place and she's beat the person who used to be in first place. You know, keeping in mind, what is a team? And again, that's something that boys tend to, uh, coaches tell me, it's a lot easier to gather a group of boys together that don't know each other and, you know, play pickup basketball. Whereas if you gather a group of girls together, they're looking at each other and thinking, oh, can I be friends with her? Do I like her? She doesn't like me, you know? What's going to happen after the game? So learning that idea, you know, that team means all of us. It doesn't mean, you know, just one person. Those are all excellent points, and you're exactly right. Title IX just came into being in the 70s, and we know that still there's you know, big inequities between just opportunities for girls. And I think that does create a situation where sometimes parents or the girls themselves feel like we have to go out and get those limited opportunities and be very aggressive and focus on you know, me getting ahead, forget about the rest of you. So I think the way that coaches work with young women is to use the relationship factor, which is their strength. You know, They want to connect, so find a way to keep those girls connected through relationships and have them feel a sense of, in my programs, it's the same kind of thing. They come together with me for 90 minutes a week, and we have our community, and we those girls don't see each other other than that time. They may not be friends outside of that group, but during that time, we're a community, and we're connected and we have things in common. So focusing on that idea of connectedness and you know, using that. But I think I agree a lot with what you say about it's just a, you know, we need to learn these kinds of things and have female role models who can talk about. You know, and I think some of it is the media. Do you remember when um, Jean Racine, the bobsledder, switched her partner at the last minute in the Olympics and she got labeled Mean Jean? Now, if a man had switched because somebody else was a better bobsled partner or whatever their, you know, the other person is called, that wouldn't have been labeled mean behavior. So I think it, it's an education process, it's a maturation process, and many of the things that you said. There's a lot of shame around being a victim because, and on parents' part too, if your child is picked on or you're picked on, you feel like there's something wrong with you or there must be really something wrong with you, and that's a big message to give um, girls is that there is, it isn't about you. You know, there isn't anything wrong with you. This isn't happening. Um, but asking about what I've heard of that works, I mean, there, there have been a variety of things. Do you mean boys and girls or just girls in particular? In general, it seems like creating a system where there is, again, that sense of community so that even though you may not want to be best friends with the kids in your class, you still have a connection with them, you get along with them. So that connectedness and community, having a system where kids can get help without it being that I'm telling on you and then there's going to be repercussions for me later on because I've reported you and everyone knows you know, that I'm the one and so it kind of backfires and boomerangs. Having a way for kids to um, get help 
and report things to guidance counselors or administrators without their being, you know, so that it can be confidential and anonymous. Um, really having everybody on board. It's amazing to me, and we have some teachers here, how often in schools there's just such different opinions on what is bullying, you know, what are we going to tolerate, what's zero tolerance in our school, what are the consequences going to be. Whatever is decided or whatever program is put in place, it's really important for everyone to be united. You may not agree with it, but if there's a policy there, if one teacher or two teachers or whoever don't follow you know what everyone else is following then that kind of creates a, a possibility for bullying to occur right and it's it's also that out of school behavior that you might you know your kid better than a teacher who sees your kid for an hour you know a day so just giving I know uh, a lot of the school nurses I talk to tell me that many of the kids that come to their office come not because they're sick but because of this kind of stuff that goes on in school they just need to get away and so Creating a, a kind of safe place, that's another thing we do, is talk about in your school, who's the safe person and where's the safe place. And I actually have a teacher friend who's about, he's about six foot three, big, big guy, and he has a classroom where the back corner, there, it's a safe place. So anytime a kid feels like they need to just get away, regroup, feel safe, they go in that corner. And he guarantees that that will be their safe place. I've had girls tell me that you know the school nurse, the guidance counselor, various people are the safe people. The library is a safe place. So, finding you know and being proactive again. We were talking about how to prepare. A lot of times when a girl or a boy um, is bullied, they're caught by surprise. So having a plan in place, thinking about you know if this happens to me, where can I go? Who can I talk to? Um, what can I do? And uh, kind of be thinking ahead of time. What are some things I would really do? It's fine for us as adults to say, well, you know, just tell them to stop or just confront them or just do whatever. A 13-year-old kid isn't always brave enough to confront their aggressor. But they may be able to walk away, or they may be able to go talk to a teacher, or they may be able to use humor. You know, there are, I find that kids themselves have an endless creativity. When we talk about these um, situations and what the options are, um, they can really come up with some, some really good ideas that kids would use, not, you know, 53-year-old women like myself. Right. I, I do think that the longer we can allow kids to be kids and you know keep them with their peer group so that they aren't having to you know, deal with older kids and be in these exchanges where they're having conflict not only with their peers but people who are two and three years older than them and as you pointed out more sophisticated in terms of you know just ways to aggress I think that's a really good idea the, the article I had read that seemed like a a possibility, and I know some New York schools are trying this, is uh, having grades one through eight in the same building, but using the seventh and eighth graders to mentor and help the younger kids. So that in that way, you don't go through that middle school, changing schools, you get to really mature in a comfortable, safe setting where you've been for many years. And you also are put in a leadership role and you recognize, you know, you go down and you read to the first graders, you interact with second graders and help new kids. And so I think that kind of a setting really sounded interesting to me and like a possible approach because too often, you're right, um, especially when you go in high school, then it starts all over again with ninth graders feeling like they have to enter and kind of create a place for themselves. 
Yeah, I know there are, there are a lot of really heated <laughs> emotions around gender uh, segregated schools, and I've done some work with girls' schools. And there, you know, this dynamic is still there because it's, it's the way women interact for better and for worse, as I said when I started. Um, I do think that m my opinion <laughs> would be that there's a benefit to at least giving girls more experiences where they're just with girls and boys more experiences where they're just with boys. I evaluate my programs and every time I do, the overwhelming response of what girls like most is being with just other girls. And in our kind of, you know, move to make everything equal and, you know, everybody gets the same opportunities, they really are not like, I don't know, you all have children in schools or your teachers, how often are girls just with girls? Even gym classes are co-ed now. So giving girls, whether it be you know, completely separating them in school or just creating more opportunities for them to be with their peers and sort of feel that sense of sisterhood and, that, and for boys, that sense of brotherhood and recognizing that it's okay to be you know, in this group and it doesn't have to always, and I know that boys introduce a completely different dynamic, especially around the middle school <coughs> time. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with those kind of kids? Well, you have two separate issues. The parents are one issue, right. and then the children. Um, it's the same for that child as the child that's too aggressive. Mm -hmm. They need to learn social skills that are more positive and be put in situations where they can practice them. And again, I, I find that just um, having kids tell their stories and hear, have other kids hear it. And you, you do it in a way that you, know, you don't reveal names and you don't say she on the bus, but you, know, you write, you, know, you hear a story, you read a story, you talk about how these behaviors are from very different perspective. What's it like to be the person who's picked on? What's it like to be the person who you get angry and you, you, know, you lash out to other people or you wanna be the most popular girl and you'll do absolutely anything to make that happen. So you use these behaviors, giving them some insight because middle school is not a Time when kids have a lot of insight. That's just cognitively not where they're at. So you have to work extra hard to help them kind of look at this from all different perspectives and sort of see, well, you know, I don't operate in a vacuum. It's kind of like that friendship thing. Like, how do you keep a friendship? It isn't that you just say, oh, I'm going to be your friend and we go happily off. It takes two and that there's always a dynamic. Um, I think there's a lot to be done with parents because First off, the impact of all of this on parents is tremendous. If you have a child who is being picked on in school, it is so traumatic for the whole family, siblings included, especially if they're in the same school. And I find mothers in particular um, respond very emotionally because perhaps they've been in the same situation, especially if it's their daughter. Um, I've heard many stories of mothers um, you know, hearing about something that happened, becoming extremely upset, going to the schools, and their daughters are fine. They just really need somebody to talk to about it. The daughter tells about it. She goes off and, you know, is watching TV or something. Meanwhile, the mom is just getting started, calling the school, you know, what are you going to do about this situation? And really, she's kind of working through some issues that maybe she's reliving or whatever. Not that there's, that that's a, a wrong thing. It's just an emotional response. So kind of having an alliance and a group of, I find just doing in-services is a good, or a, uh, not in-services, uh, 
meetings, you know, town hall kind of meeting with parents and letting them talk and letting them begin to see that the school wants to work with them and to even consider that, well, maybe their child is coming home and not telling the exact, you know, story just as they might with their sibling, you know, they're never the one that caused the problem. And that can happen in school too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was on um, CNN last spring after there was a clip posted on MySpace of two girls fighting physically and uh, somebody else standing by watching and not doing anything. And that's something, first off, why would that be put on MySpace? Would they put a clip of two boys fighting on MySpace? And secondly, um, anybody in the world can see that. So the, the whole... Um, this disinhibition that occurs online because girls think that nobody can find out who they are. Um, the information that's shared online is incredible. Uh, the idea that that opens them up to predators as well. And we know that girls are more likely to be communicating when they're online. Boys, not all girls are online just for communication, but they're more likely to, and boys are more likely to be doing the action games and the you know uh, those kinds of things. And girls admit that they're meaner when they're online because they think no one will ever find out who I am. And they don't realize that I have a story in Girl Wars where one girl um, actually threatens another girl. And that can be, you know, in this post-911 era, those things are taken very seriously. When the police show up at your door, suddenly you begin to understand that this isn't just something that you thought was funny to do, that it, it's really um, a, a thing that's illegal now. What do they get out of it? Um, uh, well, actually, there's, there are some things they get out of it. Um, there, there was a really good study that showed um, if I come up to you and I say something um, about Emily, like, oh, Emily's such a nice person. You know, I really like her. She's been so supportive of me. She's such a great individual. You'll respond probably less positively to me and connect, feel less of a connection to me than if I come up and say, you wouldn't believe what Emily did to me yesterday in the bathroom. She came in when I was in there and she pushed me out of the way and I can just tell she hates me and I don't know who she thinks she is. There's a whole phenomena that we connect more and girls in particular around negative things than positive things. It's the idea that I can tell you something that's sort of inflammatory and I can, you receive it so you indicate to me that I can, here's my audience, here's my connection here's my trust you know I can trust her to receive this kind of talk if you turned around and walked away that would be lost so there's this whole um, idea of connecting through negativity um, there's a rumination process once it gets going it takes on a life of its own and it can get embellished and it becomes very dramatic sometimes girls call it girl drama because you know what started as a relatively small incident escalates way out of proportion and it's so exciting and this is a time of life when you know girls tend to be dramatic anyway and I think it, it makes sense that in their relationships conflicts would become dramatic too there's also the sense of power. If I can manipulate you into wearing different clothes than you would normally wear, that gives me a sense that I have a power over you or that my behavior impacts on you. And remember, girls are all about discovering, you know, who am I? What do I, you know, where's my place in this world? Well, if I can influence you in that way, of course I'm going to keep using that behavior because I think I'm getting what I want. What I don't realize is that you can't stand me and that you don't want to be around me and you may not be my friend a week from now because you're fed up with me trying to manipulate you. So those are some of the, the more common things I hear. 
one thing that sort of, I have to confess, bothers me is I hear a lot from girls, she deserves it. She hits me, I, you know, I, she hit me, she deserves to be hit back. She was mean to me, she deserves to be hit back. The idea that there's, you know, some reason that you're justified in responding to a person in an aggressive way. So that requires a little more discussion and, and talking about, well, do we always get what we deserve? And um, I'll do something that, how many here, how many people here have ever made a mistake? Anybody made a mistake here? <laughs> Raise your hand if you made a mistake. Anybody ever made five mistakes? Ten mistakes? Okay. How many people have been forgiven for a mistake? Five mistakes, ten mistakes. And so kind of getting the idea that, you know, maybe there's that room for, she did something, she might have been wrong, you might have misunderstood, you know, maybe she walked down the hall and didn't say hi to you because she has a cold and her ears are stuffed up and she didn't hear you. Um, maybe there's a possibility that there's some other explanation for what's going on. It seems like even sometimes, like, it's, it's just more interesting. Like, I have to go to class and focus on math today, but you know what, if I'm having a disagreement with someone, I don't have to focus on math because I'm preoccupied with this. And math is boring. This is interesting. Relationships. This yeah. is about relationships, which is what I'm riveted to as and a girl. And then go home and say to their mother, well, I couldn't concentrate, or father, I couldn't concentrate on math because I was, so the parent, it's almost an excuse, too, like I'm not doing well in math because mm -hmm. I was focusing on my friendship issue, but mm -hmm. math is boring because I notice it happens more and more often in the spring. Like, mm -hmm. as school progresses, and they're together more, obviously, but springtime is a whole lot worse than fall. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you, you said that because I didn't mean to indicate that a victim, a girl who ends up, first off, there's, I always say there's a difference between being a target and being a victim. Somebody may target you, that doesn't mean necessarily you become their victim, but that's another thing that is really good for girls to discover, that the same sense of, you know, fear uh, maybe low self-esteem, maybe um, just not knowing what else to do is common for the aggressor, the bystander, and the victim. You know, they're all feeling some degree of that inside, not knowing quite what to do, not um, feeling confident that I'll be liked for who I am, so therefore I got to stay on top of this by making sure I manipulate everyone or I keep everybody else down so that I'm on top. Yeah, good point. Yeah, um, actually, I, I like to think that I do that and that um, I have a group of girls now who have been with my camp for a couple of years and they realize that very thing, that it's fine to come to the program with me and then they have to go out into the bigger world of their school and so on. So I got a grant from the Children's Miracle Network this past year and I had a group of young ladies who created a video and a magazine about relational aggression. It has, you know, it's for both genders. And we filmed it. We made many, many copies. I've been giving it out free to schools, so it's gone all over. I got requests from the state of Washington, California. And I would love to see, um, one school has used it, and I, I do have a little teaching tips thing. One school has used it to create what I call a no way RA day. And I'd love to see this happen across the country, that one day, maybe the day after Valentine's Day, you know, you're so nice to the opposite sex on Valentine's Day. How about one day where you just agree, and there's a pledge that the girls created, and they get people to sign a pledge, the no way RA pledge. And so I think that's our best hope, is the kids themselves kind of taking on these projects and becoming activists. But you're absolutely right. It's, you know, they've got to change this bigger world or deal with this bigger world. Okay, if everyone could please join me in thanking Cheryl for coming today. Thank you. Thank you.